Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things anxiety and big emotions and emotion regulation. Today, I'm starting part two of test anxiety. Last time I was talking about a lot of things to think about, and today going into more specific strategies. Let's look at study strategies specifically. I always teach kiddos to study. Um, like I said, I love using the water bottle and I'll actually use it as an example. And I show them visually, they need to sip, not chug. So I, I show them, you know, if we had this huge funnel that went into this tiny little top of a water bottle and they're chugging or cramming the night before, the water is going to spill out. It's not going to funnel into this tiny hole in the water bottle. It's just going to spill everywhere. Whereas if you're spreading out studying, right, and taking in a little bit every day, we're just dripping a little bit into the water bottle every day, it's going to go into your long-term memory. You're going to hold on to that. And at the end of the day, reviewing that class material is important so that we're drip, drip, dripping that information into our brain. Larger reviews, that can be done weekly, right? We can do that right now. I'm just going to review my notes from today, maybe yesterday, and then we can do larger reviews, but we're going to plan out for them. But we want to make sure that the test review spans out at least a week before the test, ideally more. If they're reviewing every single day, that, that test review doesn't necessarily have to be as big or as long, but for sure that week before, we want to span that out for a week before the test. And so again, planning out that study schedule at the beginning of every semester, as soon as you know when you're going to have a test, is going to be really important. And I plan out not only when to study, but like I showed, um, I, oh, I showed I forget sometimes that some of you are only listening audio. I showed my calendar with a bunch of sticky notes and on my sticky notes, I've got, you know, different color codes for different things, exactly what it is that I'm going to study. So we're going to write on every sticky note, what chapter or what pages I'm going to read, what concept am I learning about? What video do I have to watch? What notes do I have to review? We're going to detail as much as possible and put every single thing that we're going to study on a sticky and put that on the calendar. And then I block off things like sleep, exercise, all of those lifestyle things that I've already talked about. And then we create a, a detailed study plan. Now I'm breaking that study plan into those action steps. Even things like, first, I get my study materials. Check. Now I'm going to review my notes from the week of November 3rd. Check, check, right? Now I'm going to do the practice module that's at the end of the text check. So they're being systematic every minute. They don't have to waste time figuring out what it is and flipping through their notes and flipping through their books, you know, and then it's been 20 minutes and they're like, I'm exhausted, right? The minute they know when they sit down, they know exactly what they're going to do step by step because it's on their calendar. Or I actually also put sticky notes on my computer. So I take it off the computer my calendar and put it in front of me. So I know exactly what I'm working on now. And then they see the progress. And this is why I like post-it notes because they're seeing their progress. Check, check, check. Every little step feels great. Right. And that's going to reinforce the brain. It's going to reinforce the body. It's going to maintain these healthy habits. So I often have a couple of sessions with kiddos to help them develop some of the strategies about how to study, what to study, all of those kinds of things. So making sure they're studying actively and effectively versus just a long time regurgitating things. So rereading notes is definitely not helpful. Even if you do it for a thousand hours, not helpful. Flashcards, not helpful because we can easily trick ourselves into believing that we actually know the material. 
Talking about what they know is the best indicator of whether or not they know something. If they can't talk about it, they don't know it. We can trick our brains into believing we know it if we're reading our notes. But if I can't talk about it and paraphrase it, I don't know it. So I like students to color code things. So the things that they can easily talk about, sort of talk about, and have no idea. I don't even know what this means. Never seen it before. So I highlight things that are easy to talk about, no problem at all, highlight it in green. Things I sort of know, I get it in my head, but I'm kind of stumbling. And if you ask me a question, I'm not really sure. That's a yellow. I'm highlighting it yellow. Things I've never seen uh, algebra before in my life, let's just say. That's a pink or a red, whatever, right? You're going to color code. I have no idea where to even start about. So then we can spend our time focusing on those pink zones or red zones, the areas that I have no idea about. Because oftentimes we trick our brain into reviewing the notes that we already know, the material we already know, and we trick ourselves into believing we actually know more than what we do. And then we go in and have a big panic attack when we realize, oh my gosh, I know nothing. So we're going to focus on those harder parts. The brain doesn't want to, but if we're clearly highlighting exactly what it is that we need to do and when and how and what, our brain is going to be way more receptive to sitting down and actually taking in that information. Um, having a steady buddy is really helpful here, or even just a willing listener, right? Uh, I actually like having someone, or I used to, to talk about um, my idea or my concepts, you know, when I was doing my doctoral research and dissertation and defending everything, I talked with to people who had no idea what I'm talking about, because then they can ask clarifying questions. Then if I can relay what I know and what I've done in layman terms that they understand, clearly I, I, I know what I'm talking about. But if I'm just using big jargony words and I'm just regurgitating verbatim from the textbook and I'm asked a question and I can't explain it, I don't really know it, right? I'm just memorizing these keywords, but without any real understanding. So that can be really helpful is, is really talking to someone who has no idea what I'm talking about, because then they can ask questions and get them, to, you know, us to clarify. And so we really want kids to be able to teach that concept to somebody else. That's really helpful. That active recall and trying to teach it, it really strengthens their understanding and helps us highlight the areas that, ooh, maybe I don't know that that much here, right? Or so much about this. Um, I go through even how they're reading a chapter or how they're taking notes. Being able to summarize a paragraph of what they've just written or read or heard into one or two key words that covers that key point, that's really helpful. So when they study, they don't have to go back and read every line for line. They can be like, okay, parts of the cell. Okay, this is what I know about the parts of the cell. And then they're going to talk about the parts of the cell. And then go back into that section. Did I get it? Did I miss anything? What did I miss? What did I get wrong? I'm going to go through that again, right? For the parts that they know easy peasy, like I said, those are going to be highlighted green. Don't really need to focus too much time studying on that. Maybe one little blip, you know, one little explanation. Yeah, got it. Cool. Go on. Unfortunately, like I said, we get so caught up in the trap of just studying the stuff they already know and fooling themselves into thinking they know it all is it's just a problem. The yellow stuff, again, is the stuff I sort of know, but I really need to master it. I need to firm up my understanding. And then that pink is, is I, you know, I have no idea. So I, I'm, what do I need to help myself learn it? Is it just reading? Do I have to watch a video? Do I have to talk about it with somebody? Maybe with the teacher? looking at what are the strategies that are going to help me learn what that concept is. 
And, and when they can be actively engaged with the material, they're really going to improve that, that long-term learning and understanding of the material. So that's going to be really important. And if they're splitting up the material into the green, yellow, and red, or pink, uh, knowing where to spend their time studying and writing the test is important. And so that's when we're creating our study schedule, we are really focusing on those pink areas. And so when I wrote my qualifying test again to be a psychologist, I knew the stats was a tiny percentage of the test. And, and it was my weakest area. And when you've got decades of material that you got to catch up on, you don't want to spend all your time on an area that might not even show up on the test. So I'm yes, I'm breaking it up into what I know, what I sort of know, what I don't know, but I'm also splitting my time up to manage what are the high touch points that I definitely, definitely need to know right? I actually made that mistake for my final oral exam in English in grade 12 when I was in high school. I focused all of my attention on the hardest material. So I had learned that trick and I learned all the hardest material that, you know, like old English that I didn't end up, and end up or, or poetry. I was so terrible at understanding poetry. It's probably my ADHD brain. I was focusing all on that and all of these metaphors and similes and, and what is the underlying meaning? I spent all of my time there and I didn't spend any time studying Shakespeare at all. I didn't even look at Shakespeare and guess who I got? I got Shakespeare and I didn't do great. So knowing how much time to spend studying on what and thinking about what in a test, right, is going to be really important to, to know. When they study, it's helpful to find strategies that work for them. So experimenting with different things like interleaving. So interleaving is a huge um, strategy to really support our learning. So that's where I'm going to, for example, just in a really simplistic way, I'm going to maybe study 10 minutes of English, 10 minutes of math, 10 minutes of science, do a quick stretch, just a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to start again. All right. And then, and then maybe two or three times I'm going to do that. So now all of a sudden I've studied for an hour, but I've interleaved between all my subjects. And now I get a big break, a 10 to 15 minute break. And I get to do it again. We're breaking it up. And even though in the moment, it doesn't feel like we're taking in as much information, that's that little sipping, sip, 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 sip. It doesn't feel like a lot, but over time it actually does build up and it's getting into our long-term memory stores. So with that, though, I really focus on what's doable for each student. So while one student could sit and study one subject for 20 minutes before switching to another one, another student the same age, same grade, they might only be able to do five minutes. So you want to make sure they're having planned breaks so that they're learning to persist and teaching the brain that they need to focus for this length amount of time or until I get here and be rewarded for that. But if they can only do five minutes, I might actually make them have a break after four minutes so that they can end on a successful note. We don't want to be pushing it to the limit. I want them to feel successful. Like, yes, I can do anything for four minutes. That was super easy. I, my brain is still feeling refreshed. I can go on to the next thing. So we're planning for the pain point. We usually leave kids until things are falling apart and they're done and I'm tired and I just want to be done. So we want to catch them beforehand, before that pain point arises. And we're going to have that plan break so that they can keep their energy resources going. Regardless of the study strategies they use, we just want to make sure that that study session is a positive one. That's so important. So if we can keep that positive, it's going to reward the brain. See, it's not that bad. I can actually do it. it. You know, it's manageable and there's things to look forward to afterwards. 
So we want to make sure that we're keeping it positive. It's not just a fight, 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 fight. And then I'm doing it and I'm tired and I'm angry. I'm not going to learn anything anyway. So what can we do to promote that to be a positive one? Well, ending on a successful note, having things broken down, right? is going to be really easy. Doing some physical activity before we're studying. And again, before the test is going to be really helpful too. We're getting the the, the uh, blood flowing through the brain and then being in a place where they can feel positive about studying, you know? So where, where even could that be minimizing distractions so that they're not getting distracted and all over the, the place, you know, people, noises, phones, alerts, all of those things can pull their attention away from studying. So that's got to be taken care of. We're setting up their environment, proper lighting. That's so important. It's hard to stay alert and motivated if you're in the dark, right? Um, making sure there's space that they're studying at. It's clear from clutter. That's going to be really important. Um, I already did a, a couple of episodes around perfectionism and, and fear of failure previous to this. So definitely go back and listen to those. If you haven't, that's something to work on. If perfectionism is getting in the way, we almost need to take a step back, stop this, go back. Let's work on some of that perfectionism. Um, it's going to be important, but when it comes to some of the studying, really focusing on that effort, which I've already talked about, what the kids are learning, the effort that they're putting into learning that is going to be really important. And then if they make a mistake, uh, what is it that they um, learn from those mistakes? That's going to be key so that they can really capitalize on their learning. And so I often use that as a steady key. That's a huge strategy. Okay, what were my mistakes? And I'm going to be talking about this as well in, in just a little bit, but we can use what were those mistakes? What can I learn? How can I study differently so I can be successful later? That's going to be part of our plan. So now, how do we teach kiddos to be successful during a test? First, there's logistical things like showing up a few minutes early, going to the bathroom, making sure they have all the materials that they need, all the time that they need, right? Um, do they need to bring a specific pencil, right? I, I remember those two HB pencils. I don't know if they still need to use them, right? Or is a pen okay? Do they need a tablet? Anything else that they need? A water bottle? Wearing comfortable clothing? That's going to be really important because if it's all itchy and now there's sensory overload on top of the anxiety, it's just going to be a problem, right? A lot of test anxiety can be reduced just by making sure some of these logistical things are not forgotten. Um, and actually, I, I do little things too that we might not think about. I encourage students to make sure they're only around positive peers the day of the test. Avoid anyone who creates stress for you, right? Um, avoid anyone who you're going to obsessively compare yourself to. Right before an exam, stay away from anybody. Do what you need to do to be successful. I, I remember having a really big audition in my other life. I'm an actress and I had a really big audition and I was so prepared for it. And I went in super confident, right? But the director was a couple hours late and I usually good at staying, keeping my own bubble, but the director was a couple hours late. So I went and sat down. There's a, one other woman in the room and she was going on and on and on about all the work she did. And, and she had been Al Pacino's love interest in another movie, right? And I'm trying not to listen to her, but she had brought a friend and two hours of her going on about herself and all of her experiences. It was hard not to compare myself, right? And my experiences, and oh man, she's definitely got a lot more and this is a big role and blah, 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 blah. I was a, a complete wreck and I bombed the audition. So stay away from other people, right? And I was, I had gone, done a lot of physical activity. Like I was ready. 
right before when my audition. So after two hours, I was now sitting down. I wasn't doing that. I, I hadn't revved up my body physically and used up some of that cortisol. Um, all of those things, it really prepared me to be a failure, right? And so we want to make sure we're doing all of those things to help boost our success at the front, a lot of pre-front um, front loading that we're going to be doing, doing some movement, movement, right? Again, all that built up stress hormones running through the body. We want to be able to move it, um, move it through our system and work through some of it. Once they're in the testing room, I help students develop a framework of steps that they can use in any test that they write. So they're not reinventing the wheel every time they write a task. They know every time I write a test, the first thing I'm going to do is this, then I'm going to do this no matter what class. And then they can focus on the process of the test, right? And these steps are going to get them to the test and into the test rather than spiraling into rumination about failure and completely blanking. So for example, and again, the process is going to be different for everybody, but I really encourage kiddos to ground themselves once they sit down, paying attention, just the exact same way that I would address anxiety. What henchman is coming up? What's the stories that they're trying to spin? Where in the body? Am I feeling any anxiety? And if none of that's really coming up, I just have them pay attention to their body. Where is my body touching the chair? Where can I feel it the most? Is it the back of my legs, my butt, my back, where it's leaning against the chair? feeling my feet on the floor? Can I feel my feet in my socks? Can I feel the weight of my feet against the floor, the, the floor supporting my feet? By staying in our body, we're keeping our thinking brain online. We're not getting carried away with the rumination. And then I teach them, so once we ground down, warming up the brain. And that's that is going to be a little bit individualized for every student and for every class, but it's the process is the same. So just like with any exercise, we want to do a warm up. We're going to warm up that brain to get over the hump of worry because worry just wants us to shut down blank and then just spiral out of control. So I always tell students to get a scrap of piece of paper. So if they can't bring a piece of paper in, asking for a scrap of paper that they can use. And, and that's one, if you listen to my episodes before and accommodations. We don't want to have accommodations, but this is one I do want my kiddos to have who are anxious, having a piece of paper so they can come in and do a big brain dump. If they have to write an essay, maybe it's just writing whatever they have to for two minutes, right? So um, it, even if it's, um, I don't know what to write, blah, 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 blah. This sucks. I don't know how I'm going to do just two minutes of writing just to get their writing brain open and online. If it's math, maybe they're writing equation e equations that they know that they're going to probably have to use in the test. Or maybe it's even two plus one is three plus one is four plus one is five, right? Um, just getting their brain into math over the numbers, over that hump of panic. If it's bio, brain dumping everything that they remember, whatever comes to mind, all the different parts of a, a cell, even if it's something from a previous unit, whatever it is. Um, ideally, you know, if they want to look through the exam, so doing that and then looking through the exam, jotting anything else that comes to mind that can be helpful. So they're not looking for the exam yet in, into hoping to answer something. It's just, is there anything there that's going to jog your mind that you can brain dump over here? So you don't have to hold it in mind because the more we have to hold in mind, the more tired we're going to get and the harder it is to regulate our emotions and focus and everything else we need to do. So spending your time to write out important information, formulas, facts, keywords, doing that right away so they don't have to worry about holding on to it. That's going to be helpful and part of the warm up. So once they've grounded, once they've warmed up, now they can look through the whole test to see what it is they need to do. 
thoroughly reading all of the instructions, slowly and carefully, breaking them down. What is the question asking? We can't assume we know what the instructions are. We can't assume we know what the question is based on the first few words. And anxiety is going to make us, oh, cells. Okay. And we start thinking what we know, but it wasn't even what the question they were asking. So I have them circle anything that they're not sure about so they can ask any clarifying questions or maybe come back to that. So going through, reading through all of, all of the questions, all of the instructions, and I have them highlight. So doing the easiest parts of the test first, just to build up that momentum, right? And, and we want to build up momentum even within the test and the feelings of success. And then I get them to flag any questions they're unsure of. So it's easy to come back to So they don't even worry about it. They just know right now, I'm not even worried about these questions that are harder. I'm just going through the test, reading the easy ones that I know for sure. And even if I don't know any, that's okay. I'm just going through to make sure I've got all the easy ones first. And then I'm going to flag, right? So I have squiggly lines for the ones I sort of know of. I, I kind of have an idea of what they're asking. Um, and then maybe X's or something else, maybe even a happy face just to trick our brain. But with the ones I have no idea. Oh my gosh, parts of a cell. I didn't even know we were learning cells. No idea. Okay, so now we're differentiating the easy ones. I'm just going to do squiggly lines for the ones I, I, I don't know immediately, but I know I'll be able to figure it out with time or have an educated guess. Those are moderately hard. And then the ones I can come back to that I have no idea if there's time, I'll come back to them, but I'm not going to waste my time for right now. Right. That's at the very, very end. If there's time, I'm going to come back to those smiley face ones or the X. Uh, I always tell kiddos, if you blank and you can't get your head wrapped around a question or you don't even know where to start with the question, don't keep sitting there. Mark your X or smiley face, whatever you're going to mark that with, highlight it and move on. You can always come back, right? We don't want to get stuck and we don't want to get sucked into rumination of, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail. So we just want to keep on going. Um, if there's any multiple choice tests, you know, it's usually more about test taking rather than the content itself. So I have um, students making sure they're reading every single option, even if they think they know the right answer immediately. I want them to go through the process, eliminating the most obvious ones and the reason why, you know, why are these ones left? What are the options? How are they different? How do they answer the question? Okay. Um, if they're writing an essay question, I encourage them again, brain dump of all their ideas, so the first is just a warm up. Now I'm going to brain dump all of my ideas, maybe a mind map of all my ideas that I could use in the paper. Uh, older kids, just listing words that they'll need in the paper as well can be really helpful. What are my transition words? What is my conclusion words? My opening words, right? Um, so dumping all of those out, maybe it's creating your visual graphic organizer, hamburger, right? The top bun is my opening. The meat is the meat and all my my toppings are all my details and arguments. And then my bottom button is my uh, conclusion. So creating a little outline and a little template for themselves. Here's my introductory sentence, summary sentence for every idea. And I need three ideas, one, two, three. So they've got this little visual guide of how to support themselves. So these are the types of things I want to make sure I'm teaching them. Um, when it comes to time, I'm never encouraging to give more time to kids, especially anxious kids, because it's more time to stress out, especially if other people now start leaving before them and they don't have good strategies. Uh, I do like stopping the clocks where they can have all, you know, the same amount of time, but they can stop the clock to go and take a quick break, go and do all of those things that I've already talked about, a movement break, go hydrate, 
right? Go shake it off a little bit. We want to make sure we're doing those things to manage stress and all the stress hormones that's going through the body. So we can stop the clock. All of those things can be really helpful. Now there's things that they can do after the test. I've kind of talked a little bit about this, but we don't often think about the things after the test. Right away, I would say go and do something physical for sure, right? Something, use up the rest of that cortisol in the body because cortisol is meant to be healthy for us only if we use it up, but then go do something relaxing and enjoyable. When they get the test back, this is a great opportunity to look at where did I know the material? fantastically. Where did I moderately know it? And where was it hard? I just didn't know. Now this test becomes a study guide for their guide for their final exam, or even a guide for how well did I think I knew information or not? It gives them information even for another subject about how do I study even better next time? We're using those past exams to tweak the next exam in any subject a little bit better. Now, if this exam is the unit final and there's going to be questions for the final exam, this now becomes our study guide. All of those pink or red highlighted areas or all the mistakes we need to spend more time on that. So I'm going to devote more time for that when I'm creating my final study schedule, right? And we're giving them something purposeful to look at. When we're giving them something purposeful, they're not going to beat themselves up over their mistakes so much, right? They're looking at where did I go wrong? What can I learn from this mistake, right? So I would even before, even before their next test. Go back through your previous tests. See where you went wrong. Was it because you misread the question? Was it because you didn't know the material? Right? Did you misread the question? Misread the answer? Were you not reading all the answers and just guessing? Did you run out of time? So we're going to go back through our previous test to give us clues about what do I need to support my success for next time? We're going to ask all of these questions and they can analyze their own test-taking approach to avoid those pitfalls in the future. And they can do things differently in the future. So by going through our mistakes purposefully, we're also promoting that growth mindset in a very helpful way. Mistakes mean everything in life. We know that it's exactly where we grow and develop is learning from our mistakes. Now, we all hate making mistakes. That's true. And it feels awful in the moment. And especially if it's a stupid mistake, we're like, oh, I'm so stupid, right? But it's only a fail if we're not actually learning from it and how to do a little bit better tomorrow. So, and I've talked about the people who are most successful in our world, they look forward to making mistakes right? Because they know it's going to help them not only learn now, but it's going to help them prepare for next time. And so they're already starting to, to reframe the whole experience of test taking. Yes, let's look at my mistakes. It's going to help me for my final, which is more important, right? Now I've got my study guide because now they're going to see these little tests as an opportunity to see where are my gaps in knowledge? What do I need to spend more time on for next time? They see that opportunity in the test to help them and to propel their future, right? And I actually teach at the graduate level, um, a lot of master's students and PhD students. And one of the classes I teach is actually the final class that students need before they graduate with their master's degree. And it's a pass fail. And students fail. It's a heart wrenching, stressful class. And it's definitely heart wrenching in the moment 
for me to have to fail someone, but definitely for them because they were ready to graduate. They were ready to become a psychologist. And now what? I failed. I have to redo the test. And I do. I see the anger and I see the tears and so much emotion. It's usually resentment and hatred. And, you know, how did this happen? Those are all normal. But for those who can get over that and see this as a learning opportunity, and that's how I frame it, right? I, I, I say, I, I know that this is hard. I validate how hard the situation is. And I look at these are the things that are going to make you a stronger writer and probably a stronger writer than the people who passed the first time because they're not learning from this experience. And those who do see it as a learning opportunity, all of them come back and thank me afterwards. And they tell me they learned so much more. They grew so much more as a writer as a clinician from that experience and from the learning from that experience, because now they're really paying attention. They weren't just taking it for granted that this is just another class and just another paper, right? And so now they're committed to that learning and they're looking for how do I make sure I succeed with flying colors this time, right? Then had they just taken it, it just would have been one more paper, one more class done. I've also had those students who never got there, who just stewed in the upset and in the resentment and the hatred towards me. And some of them don't pass the second time. Or if they do, they just barely by the skin of their teeth because they're not looking for, for that learning opportunity. Just I'm a jerk. Me personally, I'm a jerk. Caroline's a jerk. And there's nothing for me to learn. And that's a problem. I love using the video game analogy because kids die 99% of the time, especially when they're first starting to play a video game, but they stick with it. They know with practice, they're going to learn how to stay alive, how to get to the next level. They know that they're going to be successful as they see their progress. They know, oh, don't go in that door. There's a zombie there, right? So we got to kind of bring that video game model back to studying and test taking. So I know with, I'm going to see my progress and with a little bit, little bit, little bit, I'm going to make it to that level. So those are some of the general things that are so important for test taking um, and, and addressing before, during, after test. I think it's important too to address some of the things that we adults should definitely not do when it comes to helping students manage some of this test anxiety because we can easily make things worse. As with any type of anxiety, I've already talked about any reassurance is not helpful. It's not teaching kids skills and you truly have no idea how well they do. So saying, oh, you're so smart. You've never failed before. None of that's going to be helpful because what if they do fail? You cannot control the outcomes. Telling them they're going to do great is not helpful. They're not going to listen to you anyway, anyway, right? Like any of it's just in one ear and out the other. And if they don't pass, they're going to discredit anything you have to say, especially if they don't end up doing well right? It's just not helping them at all. And they're going to just always need to come to you to reassure. We need them to go through the process and study so that they can reassure themselves. No, I've caught this. I've studied. I've done everything that I can. Telling them what to do is also not helpful because they're not going to listen. I have so much knowledge on studying and I help so many students build their study schedule and, and effective study strategies. Um, but my own kids, will 100% never listen to me if I just tell them. The worst thing that you can say in any situation is what you did when you were a kid and what worked for you. It's better to ask them questions. What's your game plan? What, what strategies are you going to use? How are you going to get started? How are you going to plan this out? Right? You can be there for support or to answer questions or help 
guide, you know, I can see myself as a Sherpa helping them facilitate and, and, and problem solving. Okay, where do you need to get started when we're creating your study plan, for example? But they need to be the ones to problem solve. And then they feel successful. And that's good too, right? That experience is going to get them over, over their anxiety and more likely to do these behaviors next time. They've learned through experience. So they need to experience those things themselves, not just us telling them because we're going to need to tell them next time and next time and next time. And it might not even go in in the first place anyway. We don't want to be impatient. We don't want to get angry or tell them to suck it up or anything negative like that. They're just going to go underground with it. It's definitely going to intensify their anxiety, but also potential feelings of guilt and shame and anger towards you and resentment towards you. It's not going to be helpful. Don't let them skip the test. That's not going to reinforce any skill building, any abilities to tolerate the discomfort and the anxiety that comes with it. You know, it's what it is going to reinforce is a story that you can't do it, right? And worse, that we believe that you can't do it. So you better skip this test. Don't worry about it, right? It's only going to make that anxiety worse for next time. So there was so much. I'm going to leave it there for today. Go and help those kiddos be bold and courageous. Uh, let me know if you have any questions with any of the material from this episode or last episode or any episodes. I'm always happy to hear more about um, questions that you guys have or um, even just things of different topics that you would like to chat about. If you want to work with me, I also have lots of opportunities. Check the links below and I will see you next time. Take care. Thank you.